Today I want to talk about some of the blessings or benefits that come to us because we know Jesus Christ. And Let me just say at the beginning that these benefits are available to your one. The person you just prayed for, what we're getting ready to talk about today and the next two Sundays. When you know Jesus, there's certain, just certain things that happen in your life. And this can happen in their lives, can be true of them if they come to know Christ. And I've said before that Christmas is one of the easier times to invite people to church because they're more open to it than at other seasons. And, and uh, people who never go to church enjoy listening to, you know, to Christmas music when they're in the malls, uh, uh, some you know, with their serious radio or XM or whatever, they'll, uh, they'll turn it to one of the Christmas stations and listen to Christmas music. It's pretty popular, pretty common, and, and I enjoy Christmas music. In fact, I have a, I have a playlist on my iPhone and iTunes and all of that, and it's and I think it's 57 songs and three hours of Christmas music. And it's a, it's a mixture of genres and uh, secular and, and, and Christian. And I like listening to that. And uh, when I study, I enjoy putting on instrumental music. And during the Christmas season, Christmas instrumental music, acoustic music mostly, to listen to when I'm doing my quiet time or reading Scripture. I just, you know, the music blesses because God uses it to touch our hearts, right? And I don't know if I have a favorite Christmas song. I really don't. One that I do like just because of the message is What Child Is This? How many of you are familiar with that song, What Child Is This? You know, and the, it's, it's, it has three verses. The first and last verses are the better known ones. And the first one you see there on the screen, What Child Is This Who Laid to Rest? And if I could sing, I would, but I won't because I can't. On Mary's lap is sleeping. You're familiar with that, right? Do you know who wrote the song? He was a 29-year-old man in 1865 named William Dix, and he was sick. In fact, they weren't certain if he would live. He spent several months in bed, did eventually recover. But during that sickness, he became depressed and frustrated and began to doubt God. And so he started reading, reading books about God and Christianity, reading the Bible and praying, and God brought spiritual renewal to him, and he wrote a poem. The poem had three stanzas, and it was set to music, to, a, to another song that was popular in that day and time. Today we know that poem, that song as, What Child Is This? As I mentioned, verses 1 and 3 are fairly well known. Verse 2 is less known, but here's quite often how you hear verse 2. Let's look at the next slide. Why, why lies he in such mean a state where oxen ass are feeding? The end of fear for all who hear. The silent word is speaking. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Now that's the way you'll often hear it. Not always, but that's the way you'll commonly hear that song today, verse 2. That's not the way verse 2 was written. Let me show you the words that are changed. You see the end of fear for all who hear the silent word is speaking. This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Those are the words you normally hear. Those words were not part of verse 2 when when he wrote this poem originally, and, and I think Third Day has a version that includes the actual words he wrote. And so let's look at the actual words that people today tend to omit that he included in verse 2. Let's go to the next slide. Here's what it really says. Good Christians fear for sinners hear. The silent word is pleading. The silent word, Christ, is pleading to sinners. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross, be born, be carried. Jesus would carry the cross for me 
and for you. And it's interesting to me that many people, when they sing this great Christmas song, What Child Is This?, when they get to verse 2, they use the more modern version rather than the original version. And the part that is usually omitted is the part that speaks about the cross, about the crucifixion, about Jesus' cruel death. You see, without the cross... Christmas story is just a sweet story. Without the cross, the message of Christmas is incomplete and without power. That's the reason many of the great songs about Christmas have a line or a phrase or a word somewhere in them that speak to more than just Jesus' birth. Very, very Important. So I want to show you three words. The incarnation. God coming to be with us in the person of his son. Jesus taking upon himself humanity, human flesh, leaving heaven for earth and becoming one of us, if you will. Fully God, but also fully man. Then the atonement. Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and purchase forgiveness so that we could be cleansed, we could be forgiven, be redeemed. Then the resurrection, Jesus conquering death for himself and for us. And to understand who Jesus is, you have to put those three together, the incarnation, the atonement, and the resurrection. And the message of Jesus is incomplete without all three. It is powerless without all three. They go to you can't you cannot separate Jesus from those three. So think about our religious holidays. Let's look at the next slide. Christmas. When we celebrate the incarnation, Jesus taking upon himself humanity, becoming one of us, coming to earth. Good Friday. When Jesus climbed on that cross and died in our place to redeem us from sin and from grave and from the hell. And Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus saying that sin did not win, death did not win, hell did not win. We have life, we have life abundant, we have life now, and we have life forever in heaven. That's the message of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Christmas. The incarnation is part of it, but it's not all of it. Now, here's the thing. The only way to know God is to know the real Jesus. The only way to know God is to know the real Jesus. We have people we care about. They know something about Jesus. They know part of who Jesus is, but they don't know the real Jesus. There's a lot of people in our culture today that, that like a Jesus that they fabricate, a Jesus that they change, a Jesus that they re recreate, that, 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 that's okay with them. But the real Jesus, the real Jesus, they don't know him. And you can't know God without knowing the real Jesus. And when you know the real Jesus, things are different. There are so many things that change 
And so today I want to introduce this series and then the next two weeks just talk about some of those changes, some of the benefits, some of the advantages, some of the things that, that are true of us because we know him, because we know not just something about this Jesus, but we know the real, the real Jesus. And, and your one, your friend, your relative, your co-worker, you want them to know the real Jesus because everything I'm going to say today and over the next two weeks will be true of them if they know the real Jesus Christ who was born, who died, and who was raised from the dead. The real Jesus Christ. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to John 17 as we get started in this study. John 17 in your New Testament, the fourth book of the New Testament, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just before the book of Acts. John chapter 17, and, and I'm not going to put the words on the screen because I want you to open your Bible. I want you to open your Bible. Let's look at the Word of God. And here's the thing I want you to, to take away today. If I could summarize today's message, it's, it's this. When you know him, when you know Jesus, when you know the real Jesus, you know God. And I want you to think about that for a moment. The God who created this planet, the God who created us, who created you, the, the God who breathed life into our nostrils, the God who holds us in the palm of his hand, the God who with one spoken word could destroy this entire universe, the God who had no beginning and no end, who is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. When you know Jesus, and we're going to talk about what it means to know him, when you know Jesus, you know God. And one of the benefits that can come to your one for whom you're praying is that if they will get to know Jesus Christ in doing so, they know God because you can't know God without knowing Christ. So John 17, I want us to see something Jesus said. Let's read the first three verses and then we'll talk about them a little bit, okay? Verse 1, John 17, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him, Jesus referring to himself, gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now I want you to look at verse 1, because here's the setting. Jesus, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. They're observing the Jewish feast of Passover. He would, in a few moments, institute the Lord's Supper, Later that evening he would be arrested and the following morning he would be crucified. So this is the last night of Jesus' earthly life before the crucifixion. He's with his disciples in this room and he begins to pray. And he lifts up his eyes toward heaven and, and his prayer is, Father, the hour has come. What's he referring to? The hour of his death. The hour of his crucifixion. Jesus said that he was born to die. The very reason for his birth that we celebrate at Christmas for, was for, for this hour that he's now praying about. He says, Father, it's on me. The hour is here. It's now. And it's interesting because what he prays is, Father, I want to glorify you. 
You glorify me, and I want to glorify you. And when, when Jesus says, glorify your son, Father, glorify me, he's referring to the resurrection and his return to heaven. You see that clearly down in verses 5 and 6. And so Jesus is praying. He, he's looking beyond the crucifixion. He's looking beyond his burial. He's looking beyond the grave to the resurrection and his returning to his home in heaven, to his returning to the Father. And he says, Father, glorify your son. Glorify me. He said that I may glorify you. And here's the thing. Jesus, in this hour of his death, wanted to die well. Wanted to die in such a way that he would bring glory to the Father. Because Jesus did not want to fail the Father, and he did not want to fail us. Because if in this hour of facing the cross, Jesus had said, No, I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to the cross. I'm not going to endure this hour. I'm not going to be crucified. There would have been no salvation for us. No resurrection from the dead. No eternity in heaven. No relationship with God. No knowing the Father. And it blesses my heart to know that in this moment when Jesus knew what was going to happen in just a few hours, he's praying, Father, thank you that that in a few days I'll be in heaven. But Father, thank you that I get to glorify you on the cross. And I want to do it well. I want to accomplish the mission for which I came. I want those men and women who will believe in me to have life and be saved. I want to glorify you, Father. Now look at verse 2. He says, as it, even as you gave him, Jesus referring to the Father, as you gave me, the Son, he says, authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. You know what he's saying there? Is that, listen, everyone, everyone who belongs to him, everyone who belongs to Jesus has eternal life. So here's the question. What exactly does it mean to have eternal life? You say, preacher, why are you asking that? That's such a basic question. Eternal life means to live forever, and it does. I've often used the illustration of imagining a steel ball the size of planet Earth, made solid steel all the way through, size of this planet. And an eagle with his beak will lightly peck that steel ball the size of Earth. Fly away, wait a century. hundred years passes, he comes back, he pecks it again, flies off. Another century passes, comes back, pecks it, and over and over, every 100 years, every 100 years, every 100 years, that eagle lightly pecks that steel ball the size of this planet. And when in doing so, he's completely broken it down to nothing. Eternity will only have started. Eternal life means that. But it means so much more than that. If you're thinking that all eternal life means is living forever, you're missing so much of what it's about. 
It is about that, but it's about so much more. Look how Jesus defined it in verse 3. He said, this is eternal life. Jesus said, if you want to know what the essence of eternal life is, it's this, that they may know you, the only true God. See, life is, is in him. God is the author of life, the sustainer of life, the giver of life. There is no life apart from him. There is no eternity apart from him. And Jesus is saying eternal life is more than just you existing forever. It is you knowing God, the only true God. Now, that means there's a relationship. Have you ever thought about the blessings of knowing someone how many of you, when you get a phone call, whether you have a smartphone or caller ID on a landline at the house, how many of you, before you answer that call, look to see who's calling? How many? And if you don't rec- if there's no name because they're not in your caller ID, they're not in your contact list, or you don't recognize the number, what do you do? Most of us don't answer, right? We figure if it's important, they'll leave a message because it's usually some salesman trying to sell me, you know, uh, more warranty coverage for my car that's 10 years old. Y'all get that call? I'm so sick of hearing that lady's voice. <laughs> so we don't answer if we don't know them, right? My mom is 82 years old. She has caller ID on her. She still has a landline. She has caller ID on it. And I'll be at the house with her up in Kentucky, and the phone will ring, and she'll go over, and she'll, she doesn't see as good as she used to, and so she'll just stare at that thing. And if she can't see the name, she never answers it. So to aggravate her, I pick it up and have fun with those salesmen. <laughs> she gets so mad at me. <laughs> I mean, that's... Knowing people makes a difference, right? Um, you ever been to a social gathering? You walk into a room, there's a lot of people, and you don't know anybody. You don't feel as comfortable as you, as you do when you go to a party and you know everybody, right? And so if you go to one of those where you don't know people, what do you, you look around the room and you see, is there anybody here I've ever spoken to in my life? And you find that one person you know, even if, you, even if you've only spoken to them once, and you make a beeline for that person, right? Because we like hanging out with people we know and we're a little bit uncomfortable. Now, there's a few of us with eye personalities, you know, types that we'll talk to a tree, but most of us don't have that. And, and, and I like talking to people. I can't help it. It's just the way I'm wired. But most of it, I know most people aren't like that. And so... We like to hang with those that we already have some kind of connection with, some kind of relationship. Jesus said, if you want to know what eternal life is, it's this. You know the only true God. Yesterday, Monisa and I went to Ovens Auditorium up in Charlotte to see the Jersey Boys. Any of you seen the Jersey Boys yet? Huh? It was fun. And, uh, you know, oven seats just under 2,500 people. And it was in, I'm standing there, and I was watching. You know, I looked around because I like to watch people. I didn't see anybody I knew. And as everybody was waiting out in the lobby before they let us go in, and then during the, the intermission, I watched people. And you know what I saw? People talked to the person they came with 
and hardly anybody talked to anybody else. So I'm looking around, there's over 2,000 people. I don't know anybody, but I'm comfortable in part because I'm holding the hand of the most beautiful woman there, and I know her well. Because it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through in life, if you are with someone you know and you know well, (laughs) there's comfort and peace and love and joy, right? And Jesus said, if you want to know what eternal life is, it's this. You know the only true God. And that that will be true of your one if if they get to know Jesus. That's why you're praying for them. That's why you're serving and loving them. That's why you're inviting them to church. You want them to know Jesus because you want them to know the only true God because it matters. Can you imagine going through the valley of the shadow of death without knowing him? And it's interesting, the word translated know in our English Bibles and practically every English translation translates it as know is the word gnosko in in Greek. And it's interesting, it literally means to know double, to know, to know, to know, to know, to know, to know. You know him well. And and it's a word that means not just an intellectual knowledge, not just that you know facts, but you know him experientially. You know him through experience. You know him relationally. And Greek verbs have a type of action to them, and the type of action here is in the continuous, which means that you constantly, ongoing, day after day, week after week, year after year, know him as a growing experience, as a growing relationship. As over the years you live in a relationship with him, you get to know him better. And it's a subjunctive voice, which means it's conditional. See, the way you get to know God like that is conditioned on knowing the real Jesus. And that's just some of the blessings that are ours because we know him, we know Jesus. The only true God, the word only there in the original language means the sole remaining one, one who is alone, one who is single. In other words, there's only one God. The only true God. The word true means real or genuine or authentic. The only real God. The only real God. The only real God. You know him when you know Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? But God wants your one to know him also. And then verse 3, to know Jesus Christ, because that's how you know the only true God is to know Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man who? Christ Jesus. How do we get to know God? Jesus Christ. And John 14, a couple of chapters before what we're reading in John 17, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, which means that through him, through Jesus, we can come to whom? The Father. God. When you know Jesus, you know God. Three weeks ago, some of you were in this room with me when we 
worshiped the Lord and celebrated the homegoing of Jim Heron. Jim was my predecessor as pastor of this church back in the early 80s. And Saturday before he died, I was at the hospital in Charlotte with him and his family. And I think I mentioned to you one of those Sundays about them singing and Jim smiling and singing. But what I learned that day, I did not know. I learned his favorite Bible verse, and it's the one I preached from for his funeral. It's Philippians 3.10. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. His favorite Bible verse, look how it begins. That I may what? That I may what, church? And so he's lying there in bed knowing that it's his last days, singing that song with a smile on his face, and this verse, this verse on his heart and his lips and family members quoting it to him because what gave him peace and a smile as he walked through the valley of the shadow of death? I know him. Nothing else can do that for you. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know God? I don't mean do you know facts about him? Do you have information in your head? I mean do you have a relationship with him? That's what this word means. Do you relationally, experientially know him? Jesus stands with his arms outreached and says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, come, come to him. When we sing this song in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come to one of the pastors that will be standing here at the front and say today, Pastor, I'm coming to Jesus. I'm coming to Jesus because I want to know God. I don't want just to be a church person. I don't want just to be a religious person. I don't want just to be a philosophical person. I don't want to just be somebody who knows some facts about God. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. And you can't. By committing your life and your heart to Jesus Christ. And so when we stand and sing, and I'm standing here at the front, I'm asking you to come to me and say, Pastor, I'm giving my life to Jesus because I want to know God. And I'm also saying to those of us who already know Him, to keep growing in our relationship with Him, just like husbands and wives have to work at you know, deepening their love for each other. You know, it doesn't happen just because of time. It happens because of of, of doing what's right and right so get into the word and read the word read the word go to Sunday school and connect with other believers because God uses those relationships to grow you don't try to do it by yourself sing praises to him get to know him better and, I, and I'm asking you who are already believers to, to keep praying for your one. And if you haven't put your ornament on the Christmas tree yet, you put a name on that ornament and you hang it on your tree this afternoon and you begin praying for that one and then you take it to them the week before Christmas and tell them you've been praying for them and you love them and you want them to know there's a God who loves them and wants to know them and you invite them to worship with you on the Sunday of Christmas or Christmas Eve because you want them to know God. You want that child to know God, that grandchild to know God, that neighbor to know God, that friend to know God, that classmate to know God. You want him or her to know God just like you know God. And you know what's so, so, so incredible? God wants to know them too.
God is glad to know you. And God wants to know you're one in a genuine relationship. So let's stand and sing. Altar is your